podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Ridiculous Ashes podcast. I'm Dan Lipke. With me is Alex Burden. Hello. We're covering historical Ashes series to find out which nation is more ridiculous at cricket, whether it's England or Australia. And this series we're covering is the 2013-14 Ashes. Uh, so the way it works is uh, I nominate England's most ridiculous moments. and uh, Dan nominates Australia's most ridiculous moments. Uh, then we pick out a top three and give them three, two, one points to see who won the test uh, by the power of addition. Yes. At this point, uh, England are 2-1 up in the ridiculous Ashes, uh, despite being 3-0 uh, down, well, having lost the Ashes, the actual Ashes, uh, after taking the, the Perth test. Uh, in that match, our, our top three was three points for uh, Bresnan and, uh, Tim Bresnan and Ian Bell's role in the run-out of Shane Watson, because Shane Watson was also nominated for this yes. moment. But... Uh, uh, England England managed to to claim it. Uh, Ian Bell dropping a catch and Tim Bresnan running out Shane Watson basically just in a fury. Not not because he was trying to run him out, but because he was so annoyed about the drop catch, he just threw the ball at the stumps to try and uh, make himself feel better. Uh, and nobody really reacted to it uh, other than Shane Watson sprinting off pitch. Uh, two points was uh, James Anderson conceding more runs than anyone in a single test over uh, ever. And... Uh, one point for Ryan Harris sticking the boot in in the uh, the final innings by bowling Alistair Cook first ball with an absolute beauty. So, could you sum up what happened in the uh, the Melbourne Test, please? Dave? Yes. Okay. Well, with the with the boring normal everyday Ashes decided, the teams headed to the MCG on Boxing Day for the fourth Test. Uh, that's where Michael Clark won the toss, and he decided that on a cloudy Melbourne morning, he'd he'd quite like to have a bowl. Thanks. Uh, despite a mostly solid first day, England collapsed on the second morning to be all out for 255. In reply, however, Australia were only able to get to 204, which meant England had a, had a rare 50-run lead in the series. Uh, they looked to extend their first innings lead, but a pair of collapses saw them first fall from 1 for 86 to 4 for 87, then later 5 for 173 to 179 all out. That meant uh, that Australia were chasing 231 for victory. Uh, Chris Rogers therefore scored a century as Australia ran down the target early on the fourth day with eight wickets to spare. There we go. So Australia take a 4-0 lead in the regular Ashes, uh, but the ridiculous Ashes still still technically up for grabs. Yeah, still technically up for grabs and uh, England in the lead. So uh, can I get in with the first nomination, please? Because mine go sort for of, it. Uh, precedes the test, really. <laughs> my first uh, my first nomination is Graham Swan retiring from cricket before the test match. Yep. Uh, and this is, I think, immediately weird because people retire after test matches ordinarily, <laughs> not before them. Um, but this very much felt like before that's the sort of key element of graham swan's retirement um i think it was widely accepted that he was about to be dropped yep um and then he he went just a little bit further he uh, he cited his elbow injury and said why carry on playing if you are hindering the team but uh, you know as, as i just said i don't think he would have been hindering them i don't think he would have been given that opportunity yeah um 
other quotes, uh, it, it would be selfish for me to carry on. But uh, a few <laughs> other people disagreed with that assessment. Uh, Graham Gooch said the decision was criminal. Yeah, well, that, that's very, very fitting that he was in Australia then. Like e- e- Easy <laughs> transportation for him. I'll, uh, I'll leave those, uh, those jokes to you. <laughs> and uh, Bob Willis, uh, uh, late Bob Willis, always good in these sorts of situations, said what goes on tour stays on tour. Well, that should include the players. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 I quite I found the logic kind of curious. I, 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 I've always considered like the actual match to be the unit of play for a cricketer rather than a series. <laughs> so you can't quit in the middle of a match. That I mean, I can I can understand people being annoyed at that, but. Can, Surely there's nothing really preventing you from saying, I've, I've had enough, I'm retiring in the middle of a series. It, it, am, am I out of step on this? Is this crazy? Well, I, I remember at the time, I can. I, at the time I actually probably was of a similar mind to you. I was thinking, well, you know, the Ashes are gone. He's not there playing for anyone else. Yeah. But there was a, there was a lot of talk uh, from Swan in particular of giving other people an opportunity. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, I think you have to focus on what that opportunity was. And it was the opportunity. <laughs> go out and get hammered by Australia and get shouted at and get called uh, all sorts of names by the England fans as well. He said... Um, Character building. Yeah. An opportunity to build a lot of character in those last two <laughs> tests. He said, I couldn't do the job I was being paid to do. I couldn't just stay on for a holiday in the last two weeks ferrying drinks around. Um, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a great holiday, does it? Just going no. away and ferrying drinks around. But I think that's kind of the nub of it. Because yeah. you can guarantee if Paul Collingwood, say, had found himself in the very same position, he would have absolutely ferried the shit out of the drinks for those <laughs> matches. And it just felt a bit like Swan was saying, I'm not enjoying it anymore, so I'm going home. And everyone's like, oh, okay, bye. So I think with hindsight... Uh, hindsight corner? Well, no, it's not even with that's... hindsight, is it? You know, it's uh, probably with the, the, the clarity of distance i i maybe feel a bit differently to how yeah. i did at the time um i know my dad was livid <laughs> I <remember that. laughs> yeah i yeah i i, I guess I, I i i failed to be worked up about it I, I can kind of see it if you if you say all right i've had enough of this series i'm out and then the next series you go, actually i've changed my mind i'm back in again then i think you could That's actually true. be retrospectively annoyed but i think you're allowed one one retirement, pretty much whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. That, 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 that's my opinion, anyway. <laughs> All right. My my nomination actually takes place during the match, but again, uh, for a player <laughs> who wasn't actually playing in the match or or not uh, part of the starting eleven, uh, this is Nathan Coulton Isle, who was a uh, substitute fielding at one point in the first innings, and that's when he managed to catch Kevin Peterson pretty close to the boundary and. Uh, he started losing his balance and just before he went over the rope he tried to do one of those things where you toss it in the air then regain your balance and claim the catch but uh, Nathan Colton Isle didn't really succeed in doing that all he succeeded in doing was pretty much hurling the ball over his head into the crowd uh, for six so it was a, it was a spectacular effort from Nathan um, I think uh, KP was only six runs at the time so Colton Isle basically doubled his runs with this one piece of oafishness uh, which, which was a neat effort Uh I just felt like he'd seen, because this was kind of early in the days where the people were doing all their, their juggling boundary antics. I mean, Glenn Maxwell had only just been invented. It was it was lots of, uh, <laughs> you know, running around and pe- people could technically do this kind of, these, you know, Cirque du Soleil kind of stuff at the, at the edge of the boundary. So Nathan Coulter-Nile looked, looked like he thought, well, I'll give this a go 
too. And then he kind of didn't realize how actually tricky it was to do it successfully. It was a little bit like when people saw moonwalking for the first time and then tried to give it a go. And it never quite looked legit until you had, had a lot more practice. <laughs> a friend of mine once, I remember being in the pub once, and my friend uh, claimed that he could do uh, a moonwalk and demonstrated it in, in slip-on shoes and managed to uh, not only lose his shoes and almost fall over, but spill his own pipe into his shoe, into his now <laughs> his shoe now off his foot. So that was equivalent to Nathan Coulter Niles' fielding effort, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And as I mentioned, uh, Nathan Coulter Niles was a substitute fielder, which is probably, you know, a- as a rule, you don't really want your substitute fielders to be throwing the ball into the crowd for six. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think my final point on this was it was actually the worst possible day in Test match history to throw a ball into a crowd because there were 90,831 people there, which was a world record for the highest single day attendance at a Test match. So he, he not only had the biggest possible chance to hit somebody, he was also uh, more likely to be jeered and ridiculed for it by, by you know, 90, 91,000 odd people. So great effort from Nathan Coulton Isle. Yeah, I, th- I think it was one of the, the, the greater England contributions in that match we came from Nathan Coulton Isle. Yep. I mean, it, to, to describe the moment, he sort of he's running along the boundary, leaps and catches it, and then he, he's sort of turning as he catches, so he lands sort of facing backwards, then turns like does a complete sort of 360 and that's that's when he's sort of back handing it so it's all sort of pirouette thing but there's a moment where if you pause the footage he's standing on the wrong side of the rope flinging the ball even further for six which <laughs> just sort of underlines how how wrong he got it yeah um i think you're right that like we're so used to boundary fielding brilliance nowadays that it's quite refreshing to see an abject <laughs> failure like this yeah yeah was, it was beautiful yeah, I was watching a mountain biking film the other day and that's just it was just full of people risking their lives doing crazy jumps and spins and things. And you just very, very quickly get numb to that kind of thing. And that's that's kind of how I feel about boundary brilliance now. So this was a real sort of uplifting, uplifting moment. That's a little bit of hindsight corner there. Yes. Uh, at the time corner. it was even attempting a sort of uh, retrieve on the boundary was a bit of a, a bit of an innovation. Okay, my next my next nomination is a slightly greedy one. It's it's England's <laughs> England's 3-2-1 of uh, idiosyncratic dismissals in their first innings. Um, so this started with uh, Mike Carberry bold leaving Shane Watson. <laughs> um, so Shane Watson round the wicket. And actually, it was a good delivery. It seemed, it seemed a fair bit. But uh, Carberry sort of uh, ostentatiously raises his bat and then watches his stump uh, get knocked down. I, I think I think we mentioned the last match that Carberry's kind of becoming like a, a stealth player to watch here in terms of comedy. It's, a, it's kind of a shame he didn't kick on. He's, he comes up with a lot of, lot of good nonsense. Yeah. And uh, I think he's, he's he's a good deadpan player as well. Yep. We always we always admire that in a ridiculous cricketer, don't we? They're yep. not sort of crazy zany sort of cricketers, but the ones who are ostensibly fairly earnest, but uh, kind of deliver these ridiculous moments. Yeah, I think on a on a basic level, bold leaving is just one of the funniest dismissals because it Definitely. it flies in the face of the the first things you you come to understand <laughs> about cricket, which is that there, there are the stumps that the bowler's trying to hit, and the other person has got a bat yep. and they use the bat to stop them hitting the stumps so to just willfully <laughs> retract your bat and the ball then hit the stumps is just mind-blowing because i mean fundamentally you understand that's not the way to go about things yeah uh, that's uh, sorry that's the first third of my dismissal and, I, and I, i'm sort of uh, i'm giving them chronologically but i think also in terms of quality as well <laughs> i think they escalate in quality this is how england's first innings progressed uh, the second one was Stuart Broad, of course, mm-hmm. uh, LBW, 
seemingly trying to jump over a Yorker. <laughs> uh, Mitchell Johnson comes in, spears one in. Uh, Stuart Broad goes back and jumps, uh, and it almost goes under his feet. Um, I have a theory with this, that in the previous test, Johnson had almost broken Broad's foot. So yes. I think I actually think that Broad genuinely might have been trying to jump over it, just reflexively trying to get his feet out of the way. But it's a very Fair enough, thing too. To, yeah, I mean, it seems quite reasonable. Although, uh, number one in my three-to-one of idiosyncratic dismissals, this must rank quite highly as well. Uh, Monty Panesar also bold leaving, <laughs> but this is a different level of leave to Mike Carberry's. Mike Carberry's was one where Watson was around the wicket, so it was already quite uh, an unusual angle. And it's it seemed quite sharply. Yep. So, you know, just one of those slightly freakish deliveries. Marty Panesar. Uh, so it was, it was Nathan Lyon around the wicket, and he... he he directed it towards leg stump, I would say, uh, and Monty Panasar left it, and it spun into off stump. And really, there is just... And it's a full-blooded leave as yeah. well. It was a real sort of textbook. Monty Panasar always had an ability to play an immaculate forward defensive nowhere near the ball or a sort of perfectly <laughs> <laughs> choreographed leave. Uh and uh, yeah, just just to interest. There's almost no way it could have missed the stumps. It was it was an incredible effort. Yeah, every, uh, I've seen this a few times now over the the past week or so as, as we've been watching it. Each time it just make, make, makes me laugh out loud. I, I have no idea where <laughs> else he thought the ball was going to go. Like there was no, there, it's not <laughs> it's not missing. It's anywhere. not one you can watch once, is it? It's bad <laughs> uh, <fans> repeat viewings. <laughs> yeah, and you sort of calculate the angles. Of, uh, oh, I just yeah. <laughs> I, I want to give an honourable mention as well for a fourth dismissal, which I'm not nominating, but yeah. within the same innings, Kevin Peterson was bold attempting the filthiest slog you've ever seen in your life across the line to Mitchell Johnson. It was just straight as thumbs, and he was just aiming mid-wicket, just yeah. all of his might. It was just a, a hideous, hideous delivery. I think in KP's defence, wasn't he like the last man out? He was pretty much the last man standing at that point. Wasn't yeah, he? yeah, we're getting into that territory. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, just like taken in isolation, it uh, that was... Uh, it's, it's also worth a watch if you can uh, find that in find if you if you're an England fan willing to watch uh, England's first innings in the Boxing Day Test of 2013. Yeah, well, well, Michael Clark, Clark tried to match this uh, nonsense from England, but he was kind of trying to lead from the front, so he was also bold leaving. Uh, he, he left one from Anderson. It was a very uh, kind of elegant and emphatic emphatic <laughs> kind of leave. It was very confident. He it looked as yeah. if he knew exactly what was going to happen to it, uh, which probably made him all the more startled when uh, Anderson's ball. Just kind of cut back in and hit his stump. It was kind of the uh, the the leave of Panasar to yes. the. Like the, kind of the, delivery that uh, Carberry got. It was yep. a little bit like that. My uh, second nomination is uh, Brad Haddon uh, finally getting to Michael Vaughan and, and causing him to emit a frustrated wail of despair on commentary <laughs> but, but when he had an LBW overturned. And uh, I, I've been doing a bit of Haddon watch over the course of this series. So th- this time around, he came in at 5 for 112, which pretty pretty quickly became 6 for 122. And then he scored another half century, uh, 65 this time, as he kind of let a recover of sorts as, as Australia reached 204. So he put on a 40 run last week at stand with Lyon. But uh, more relevantly for, for this nomination, he also reversed what looked like the plumbest of LBWs from Panasar, uh, when This is when he was on 35. Uh, when, when you look at it live, you, you really can't see anywhere it's going. Uh, but I think uh, he was pretty much the last last batter in at that point. So he, he, made, he made the tee and sent it upstairs more in hope. And then the replay showed that it, it was basically... 
literally just scraping the off stump. I was like, maybe there was yeah. one pixel between the ball and ball and the stump. Maybe there's zero it was pixels. Real coat of varnish territory, wasn't yes. it? Yes, and so uh, so it wasn't even an umpire's call. It, it was it was classified as an actual miss um, to somehow. Um, but when the when the review was overturned and showed on the screen, it, it basically caused Michael Vaughan, who was at the back of the commentary box, he just emitted, emitted this audible wail of despair. <laughs> and I mean, to be honest, I'm not 100 percent sure it was Vaughan, but I'm, I'm going to say it was because I, I think his cry of frustration spoke for pretty much every England fan at this stage uh, when it came to Brad Haddon. Yeah. Uh, oh, I can confirm it. It, it was definitely born. I heard yep. it. I, uh, I'm sure it was born. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So just just to summarise Haddon's, Haddon's uh, first four tests so far, he came to the crease in the first innings of each match at five for 100, or if you prefer, we'll do it the England, England way, 100 for five, 257 for five, 143 for five, and 112 for five. And his scores in response were 94, 118, 55, and 65, which helped Australia to eventual totals of 295, 570 for nine declared, 385, and in this occasion, 204. So that's, uh, you can't ask much more from your wicketkeeper. That's handy. But yeah. and, and it probably won't be spoiling the fifth test too much to say he comes in there at 97 for five and then scores 75 to help Australia recover to 326, which is probably the, the shortest uh, horizon hindsight corner we could probably have. Hindsight <laughs> corner. Kind of no, no wonder that uh, Michael Vaughan was reduced to, to such audible frustration there must be a metric which is how often has a player encouraged commentators to say he's been a thorn in england's sides this <laughs> series and it must have by the end there must have been a banned phrase or something yep. yes um we spoke in the in the first series of the ridiculous Ashes about ian healy being the in my mind the definitive weak wicketkeeper like yep. my default notion of what a wicketkeeper looks like <laughs> and i think Haddon is cut from similar cloth. He's almost like the archetypal Australian cricketer. Yeah. Like, like he's read a book about it. What should it look like? How should I behave <laughs> if I am playing? Test- That's how I've always seen him. Like, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's um, he, I, I, I mean, everybody loves Adam Gilchrist, but Brad Haddon's kind of uh, special in his own way. He's, he, he was a great, uh, <laughs> great follow-up to Adam Gilchrist. I, I think he kind of restored uh, a sense of normality. The same way, whenever Pat Cummins retires and you get some very unpleasant Australian fast bowler in to replace him, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to think, yeah, that's that's probably more like it. We feel a bit more comfortable. Right, my third nomination then is uh, Alistair Cook, England's captain, dropping David Warner. Yep. in the second innings. So Cook actually dropped both Australia openers in the first hour of day four. Uh, <laughs> Chris Rogers edged one, and it was pretty wide. That was quite a tough chance. Uh, Cook dived, couldn't take it. Uh, the Warner chance went, I can't overstate this, straight to Cook's hands. Like, I, I have this theory that if he'd been a statue, maybe he'd have caught it. <laughs> I mean, he, he, didn't have, he didn't even have to rise, did he? He's in the crouch position no. and pretty much just landed exactly where his hands were. Yeah, and I think it would have nestled that if he'd, if he'd had, like, it'd been a, maybe a sort of slightly doughy statue. Like, if it'd been marble or granite, I think probably it would have bounced out. Yep. But if he'd been made of something a little spongier, I think yep. maybe that statue, that, that sponge statue, could have like taken a, a, a cookie dough statue would, would apply, wouldn't it? A, a cookie, cookie dough statue. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, but uh, alas, he wasn't. He was, uh, he was a sentient flesh and blood human being, and he, he moved slightly, he reacted and uh, managed to spill it and yeah just 
Everyone, I mean, it, things were not going well for England by this point in the series. I think it's fairly clear. Yeah. And uh, I think just uh, the, witnessing the England players' emotions at this moment as their captain uh, failed to catch a second opener. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, it is always funny. There, there aren't many fun things that are funnier than captains dropping catches, is there? Because, like, every, everybody has to hold in their frustration, including the captain themselves. <laughs> it's just so, like, when, when yeah, a normal player does it, you can, you know, teapot them and the captain and can you know give them a stern glare but when it's the captain themselves doing these you know dolly drops it's just very funny everyone has to bite their tongue and those those emotions have got to go somewhere you can see everyone just digging deep into themselves yeah. and uh, they're going to come out somewhere or other yes definitely uh all right uh my third and final nomination is uh shane watson costing himself two test runs so uh <laughs> Dan's obligatory shane watson nomination pretty much yeah what, what what a what is quite quite the hero for australia in this series uh <laughs> So pretty much, uh, d- despite this kind of, you know, this, was, there is always something faintly odd about tests where the first three innings are very low scoring, as it was here. And then in the fourth innings, the batting team just comes to their senses and runs it down effortlessly. And that's pretty much what happened here. Um, you know, Australia just charged out of the blocks with the openers. Even when Warner was out, um, they, they continued on. And in the end, uh, I think uh, Watson was on 85 or something, or 83, when he, as, as Australia, were just cruising to, to victory eight, uh, with eight wickets still in hand. So they needed two runs to win the match and Shane Watson clipped the last ball of the match for four uh, but instead of just uh, you know letting it trickle into the boundary they, they ran the match winning two before it did so which meant by, by the laws of cricket he basically cost himself two runs that the boundary didn't count they'd won the match before it before it reached the rope and I, I find this kind of odd because you know when a batter scores their first ever test run there's always some commentator saying something like you know oh they'll never be able to take those runs off him and and it's a little bit sad how how later Watson just, is just taking these runs so so very much for granted that he's just willing to give up two test runs. <laughs> and even even more ridiculous, I, I find, is that he actually had to put effort in to lose the runs. If he just stood still and done nothing, he would have had two more runs in his test career. Uh, and I think he was uh, taken off from bowling, wasn't he? In uh, at some point in this match, because he like knocked yeah. out a hammy or something. Yeah, I'm assuming he was injured. It was Shane Watson. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, So there he is, sprinting too. <laughs> Needlessly. Needlessly, yep. Yeah. And and you know, as a detriment to his career, because I calculated if he if he had scored two more runs in his test career, his batting average would have jumped from thirty five point one nine to thirty five point two one, which doesn't sound much, but it would take him past what I'm going to call the Greg Ritchie threshold of thirty five point two zero. And I think any Australian wants to have a better batting average than Greg Ritchie. Um, and so Shane Watson just cost himself that by by this foolish run uh, at the end of the test. Well, that's how he'll always be known as the <laughs> yeah. man who averaged very. Very, very slightly less than Greg Ritchie. Yeah. So, uh, shall we? Shall we do our usual sort of um, cake and eat it of naming all the things we could have nominated but didn't? Yeah, you go first if you like. Okay. Well, I mean. I don't know if I've missed a trick here, but I've put myself off nominating England batting collapses after uh, the 1997 series, which was basically just me listing collapses <laughs> for six test matches. Um, but this was a particularly good one because we had England going from 202 for four to 255 all out in their first innings. And then 170, well, there was a sort of mini collapse at the start of the second inning, yep. followed by 173 for five to 179 all out in the second innings, which is a real beast of a collapse. Six runs, five wickets. So it's another sort of England collapse off. <laughs> um, and as a sort of um, 
subheading on this one. Uh, England were at one point 105 ahead with all 10 second, second innings wickets intact, which is a, that, that, a right effort to lose by eight wickets from that position. That's an that's a incredible effort to lose by eight wickets from there. That's a, that's a, that's a big lead when you're 105 ahead <laughs> with 10 wickets intact. Yeah. You throw in a six-run, five-wicket collapse and you can... You, you can, can do anything. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I, I had uh, another moment that I didn't actually nominate, but I, I was uh, kind of impressed by uh, Bresnan. I, th- this one probably would have been yours, but I, I do like the idea yeah. that he stood his ground after being bowled by Nathan Lyon. He basically just stood there <laughs> and uh, and waited for the umpire to review, or I, I'm not sure what, what, what he was doing. But in, in a way, this was kind of fair enough, because a couple of years earlier, Brad Haddon uh, had uh, been wicket-keeping in an ODI against New Zealand, and he took a delivery from Michael Clark, and in the process, knocked the bales off with his with his gloves and then appealed for bold and uh, succeeded in uh, having Neil Broom given out. So Brad, Brad had an, uh, as, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, kind of an, an archetypal Australian cricketer, not not afraid to to get a wicket by nefarious means if need to be. Didn't cross the line, of course, but, you know, uh, good, good gameplay. <laughs> yeah, I think Bresnan probably did have that in mind. I can only assume he did. Uh, yeah. He sort of he just clipped the top of the stump, didn't he, when he whirled yep. around. In England's second innings, um, there was a moment where Joe Root was run out uh, and then Ian, Bo- Ian Bell chipped to mid-off first ball. Uh, and he, he really, really had to reach for it. So uh, uh, Johnson, Johnson was fielded of both of those. That was a moment which, uh, in another match, I felt just those two deliveries in succession could possibly have uh, earned nomination. Yeah, I, I, I found the Root one the, the, the weirdest about that because he, he ran on a shot that was hit to Johnson's left hand and I just can't possibly believe he'd forgotten with which arm Johnson had been wreaking <laughs> havoc all series. I'm not sure what he was doing. Well, there's, there's an easy way to remember because I've studied <laughs> Mitchell Johnson's arms in uh, quite some detail because he, he's been filmed playing tennis right-handed. Ah, uh, yes. And I, for a while, uh, I had this theory that he, he, he was actually right-handed and didn't know. <laughs> Uh, because particularly during the balls to the left, balls to the right, period, yes. it seemed like maybe he was just bowling with the wrong arm. And uh, I eventually concluded, because he had the huge tattooed sleeve, mm. yep. uh, I eventually uh, deduced that, that that he'd had that done to denote the doing arm. <laughs> <laughs> so that he would, so that he would remember which arm he was supposed to be doing things with. Yeah. And uh, Joe Root could have, I mean, assuming he wasn't uh, in long sleeves, I don't think he would have been. So uh, Joe Root could have used that that same that same uh, indicator to let him know that it was uh, not the time to go for a quick single. Maybe Joe Root had seen him playing tennis recently and, and was completely yeah, confused. Yeah, had that lodged in his mind. Yep. Yeah. Not seen much of it bowling recently. Well, I'm left-handed, and I, I also play tennis with my right hand for reasons that elude me so that's uh yeah anyway I, don't, well, I can't explain why why either but i don't have a tat to differentiate between the two of them <laughs> well maybe you should get one maybe i should yes and uh, the only other thing i want to mention is uh it was actually during this is not really sort of specifically the test match but uh it was during this test match that there was that uh moment when piers morgan faced an over from brett lee yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, if you've watched it again, is is a lot more brutal than I remembered. I remembered that he was not up to the challenge, as expected. But, uh, yeah, Brett Lee, I think he, there was only one he didn't really sort of aim at at Morgan, which, yes. you know, is understandable. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think the, the reason for it was Piers Morgan had said that the, the England players were cowards. So yes. he was... The usual Piers Morgan nonsense. Yeah, so he, he, he was showing them how to be a real coward, <laughs> as far as I could tell from the way he performed. In that. I think simply turning up and facing him, it, you know, there's a certain level of bravery slash insanity. 
stupidity, yeah. yeah, stupidity and that. But the way that he actually faced the over was was not sort of shot through with batting courage, I would say. No, and and understandably so. Understandably so. But if yeah. that's the position you put yourself yes. in, if you choose to put yourself in that position, yeah, uh, nothing more than self promotion, then. Um, little more than self-promotion then so be it all right time for the votes yeah Uh, this is this is a tough one i think yeah uh what would you put forward as your as your strongest one i think uh i think nathan coulter six uh just just for the (laughs) he's claiming the six yes he's claiming the six yep uh yeah uh, just just because it's so rarely seen these days it's it's kind of as, as you mentioned it was kind of refreshing to see someone just being so inept on the boundary that they would just throw the ball into the crowd so i think that's probably my best nomination what, what about you? I think my my strongest nomination. I'm pretty sure my strongest strongest nomination is the the three two one of ridiculous dismissals. If if I mean bold leaving Carberry, that was pretty ridiculous. I think yep. Stuart Broad's attempt to leave a Yorker was uh, doubly ridiculous. But uh, Monty Panasar's leave to a ball almost couldn't have missed his stumps. It couldn't have missed his stumps. I can't really see a way it could have. No, there's there's no there's nowhere nowhere it could have gone. There's no Perth cracks or anything. It could have no. sent it the other way. Yeah. It was. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you could get a better terrible leave than that one. So I think that's my strongest one. I I, I think those two are probably the the most clear cut kind of laugh out loud moments. When when you see them, you you can't help but emit laughter. Um, <laughs> yeah. When when you actually see them, and and I think that I have seen the Nathan Coulter one multiple times over over the course of this week, and, and I haven't been able to sustain quite the mirth that I do uh, with the Panasar one. So I, th- I think by that it's reckoning... It's partly Monty Panasar as well, isn't it? It's yes. another great, uh, yeah, hapless character, I suppose. Yeah. One of my yep. favourite cricketers. But uh, yes. yeah, batting-wise, uh, certainly had... Uh, he had his fair share of ridiculous dismissals, but I think this was, might might be his best. It's right up there, yeah. So I, I think, sadly, um, I, I'm going to have to concede that one, j- j- just you know, based on my own visceral reaction to it each time. Yeah. Okay, so we've got, uh, well, England with three points there, and, uh, well, uh, Coulton, I, I would say, is a strong second place. I, yeah, I think, I think so. Graham Swan's uh, early retirement, uh, early retirement? Uh, <laughs> unexpected surprise retirement, Uh I, I, I think that's extra. mostly ridiculous, just because of how angry it made people. Um, which, which is, <laughs> which is kind of an ele- uh, an extra dimension I hadn't thought of. Um, I, I guess my second best one's probably Watto just denying himself two runs and, and not cro- crossing the the Greg Ritchie threshold. So it's probably between those two for for the one point. In, yeah, I think. I think uh, I think Alistair Cook's drop is, you know, <laughs> you can sort of think you can you can think long and hard about it, and it's very ridiculous. But in the moment, it just looks it's just a really bad. Drop drop catch i don't know if it uh, really sort of stands out yeah and and, and similarly haddon's batting I, I i mean we kind of got used to it by this stage of the series that he was just going to come in and, and rescue it and and it's uh, uh, similar to the cook drop you, you kind of have to think about the positions he came in and where he rescued them to and what would have happened if he hadn't well we're this is kind of a clincher in a way then because uh if if we're giving this to if given the final point to uh graham swan that would make it, it seal the test that. so i, I should uh, be fighting for Watto's lost runs, shouldn't I? Um, you should. How, how, how? I mean, how? How? How ridiculous do you think? Uh, think Swan's retirement is. It feels like a big moment. It feels like a thing that people talk about even today. I know. They're, they're, yeah. Like, they're, the, the, like the whereas Watto's moment feels like such a small moment that most, almost everyone in the ground wouldn't have even noticed it at the time. 
other than you. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that 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 that's a fair point. I, I I was probably the only person who noticed it, just just for my sheer love of Watto. So perhaps it's my 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 Watto bias shining through here. So perhaps I'll have to concede and give this test to England with uh, Graham Swan's fury-inducing retirement. Okay, in which case, uh, with four points to two, England take this. Well, they take the test, and uh, that would make it. Uh, Ridiculous Ashes to England. Three tests so? yeah. for one with one to play. Yes. Uh, uh, alas for Australia. Couldn't quite uh, be ridiculous enough to top. They, they started well. Australia took the first Ridiculous Ashes test, but England have bounced back really hard here. Yeah, I think there's a trend that's... We, we always say that the losing team... You don't have to play badly to be ridiculous, but I think it, <laughs> it helps. helps. I think yeah. it's what I'm coming to. <laughs> but uh, Australia, you know, they won the first test, first test in real terms, and they won the first ridiculous test of this series. But uh, yeah, I think England's. Uh, incompetent class is telling as the series wears on yeah i, I think next next time around we're gonna to have to choose a series that australia loses to to test this theory yeah i think it's also you get towards the end of the series when like the, the wheels are coming off basically <laughs> yes. and players are retiring uh, out of nowhere <laughs> that's when you really start to see uh, to see uh, a few points going towards england yeah oh well congratulations to england for taking this test and the ridiculous ashes uh they're three one yeah, up so now punching, yeah yeah so uh, <laughs> Can Australia, you know, regain some consolation, uh, ridiculous victory in, in the final test? Uh, I guess I guess we'll see that next next week in the in the dead rubber. So anyway, thank thank you all for listening to this episode of the Ridiculous Ashes. Uh, you can uh, check out Alex's website. That's at kingcricket.co.uk. He's always adding new things there on a very regular basis. Uh, you can check out my website. That's liebcricket.com. I don't add things anywhere near as regularly there, but check it out anyway. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Ridiculous Ashes, at The King's Tweets, and at Lieb Cricket. And we'll we'll be back in one week with our coverage of the fifth and final test of the 2013-14 Ridiculous Ashes. And we will speak to you all next week. Today. Sports Social Podcast Network.